I'm Michael Beck, the host of the Mike the Mike podcast. If you've been following along with me, it's great to have you back here again. And if you're listening in for the first time, welcome. This is a place to talk about the arts as well as personal well-being. Sometimes I'll talk more about art, all the times I'll talk more about mental and physical health. But regardless of the topic, I hope to encourage greater openness and understanding as I seek to better understand myself and the things and people around me. God is good all the time. 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 All the time. All the time. You just listened to an unused and unreleased uh, recording that I titled All the Time. And uh, at one point, I was working on a project. It was going to be an album, and it was going to be like each month I was going to uh, like re uh, mix, remaster a like old recording that I had made uh, just off of my recordings from my phone. So really low fidelity stuff, but I was going to try to remaster it, re-record it, you know, maybe throw some uh, vocal overdub on it uh, to make it sound better. And I made it through like three months and it just became a bit much, so I didn't uh, continue on with that. But anyways, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, that was another, um, well, that was one uh, clip that uh, I thought of putting on there and, you know, I might still use it for something. We'll see. I actually did a version of it, uh, performed it uh, at an open mic and uh, just kind of like as it is, just did acapella and um, people seem to appreciate it. So uh, yeah, maybe there might be some there, but um, I just thought I'd, uh, yeah, include it and uh, share it all just in the intro here. Um, hope you liked it. And uh, But yeah, welcome to episode 33. I had written this script and had originally planned it for my 30th episode, uh, but then I had another plan for that milestone of an episode and the milestone of turning 30 years old. And then I suppose I went on a bit of a brief tangent uh, processing and sharing about current events, um, though I make no apologies for it. Uh, but now I'm uh, bringing it back and I'm going to share it uh, with you now. Uh, I believe this episode will hold up on its own, but if... Uh, you know, but it was meant to uh, be a follow-up to my 29th episode in which I talked about toxic shame and conflict avoidance. And so if you missed that one, I would highly highly encourage you uh, to do so. Um, I'm really glad that I have that episode on toxic shame as a primer for further conversation. I feel that I need to continue to share my story through this podcast. I've you know, talked about my chronic illness, my mental health with my visit to the hospital, and now I feel that I'm approaching a time which I need to go back to the beginning, to my earlier years, uh, to talk about my learning disabilities and then to talk about another struggle of mine, and thus sort of uh, complete the telling of my story uh, on my relationship with uh, toxic shame. Um, I'll just have to organize my thoughts and decide how I want to go about sharing it. I have a lot uh, that I want to share, um, other things uh, such as uh, personality type, uh, which I believe ties into my story, 
you know, plus I don't want to miss an opportunity to talk about my lifelong love of Batman and how I felt that the character has become more uh, relatable and taken on a new dimension as I've gotten older. Um, but uh, this is me just brainstorming, and those are my uh, tentative ideas uh, for where the podcast is heading and uh, what I'll likely uh, be planning for uh, future episodes. But um, uh, yeah, I feel like I went on, a, had a bit of a pause, uh, took a little break from the podcast, and uh, now I'm, I feel like I'm just cranking it out. So um, I didn't anticipate having, you know, putting out a, uh, an episode, new episode each week. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been doing. So uh, yeah, I don't know if you all can even are able to, uh, to keep up with the pace, but uh, that's fine. Um, this is just what I'm doing. And, you know, there might become a, you know, a week coming up where, you know, I need a break and, uh, and then I um, take another little hiatus. So we'll see what happens and how things go. But yeah, I, I'm uh, brainstorming and thinking about uh, the continued future of the podcast. And I want to thank you for continuing to stick with me uh, by continuing to tune in and listen to my podcast. I've mentioned in my 30th episode that uh, based on past experiences and interactions with people, I've developed this perception that I'm too much for people. And then I can't allow myself to open up and be vulnerable because if I do, people will reject and abandon me. That they'll either be annoyed or irritated by my sharing, thinking that I'm just whining or complaining, or worse yet, that my sharing would somehow reveal something about myself that makes me undesirable and unlovable. Uh, but I have been sharing. Um, I've shared a lot. Um, I've revealed a lot about myself, and yet uh, you're still here, still uh, listening and proving me wrong. Um, I can be open and vulnerable, and people can see me and like me for who I really am. And for that, I owe you a debt of gratitude. I'm still working on my self-confidence and recognizing my own self-worth, but being able to share here has been helping me enormously and it really means the world to me. Uh, but all right, with all that uh, mushy stuff out of the way, let's get into the episode. Leading up to the writing of this episode, I had read three books which have been very informative. Those books being Adam's Return by Richard Rohr, Broken Trust, A Practical Guide to Identify and Recover from Toxic Shame, or sorry, Toxic Faith, Toxic Church, and Spiritual Abuse by, I'd say, pronounce that uh, Diedrich. F. Remy, and then Homosexuality and the Christian, a guide for parents, pastors, and friends by Mark A. Yarhouse. Uh, this was uh, written foremost as uh, part of a letter to, in response to uh, Yarhouse's book, although I have yet to uh, send him uh, that. But I wanted to mention that I have also been informed by these other writings as well. Let me try to break down my readings and my reasons. Uh, for the books that I chose. Um, with Homosexuality and the Christian, I was looking to see what studies show and what an authority on the subject with a perspective of the Christian faith had to say about homosexuality as I was looking to confront and sort through the measure of same-sex attraction uh, which I've experienced. Um, with Adam's Return, I wanted to examine masculinity and uh, male initiation as I questioned my manhood and struggled to feel like a man. And with broken trust, I was seeking to sort through my feelings and confront my negative past experiences with the church. All that to say, I've had a lot of insecurity and confusion, and I've been looking to address that after 
years of shoving it down and not really facing them. Uh, these books that I tried to digest uh, to the best of my ability uh, didn't give me all the answers, uh, but I found them very helpful in my personal growth work and have become a sort of springboard for further contemplation. Uh, we received so many ideas from a young age. Uh, we are very impressionable, and more often than not, we're, you know, we weren't in a place to question and consider what was true. Like sponges, we just took it all in. You don't know what you don't know, and we likely didn't consider you know, that we had been receiving only half-truths, if not complete deceptions. And as I've been uh, you know, sharing on the podcast, I'm not looking to simply throw out all my old ideas, but I'm trying to sift through, you know, sift out uh, the truth and trim the fat, so to speak, to chew up the meat and spit out the bones is an expression that I've heard used uh, similar in concept, um, as I understand it, to the well-known saying, uh, don't throw out the baby uh, with the bathwater. I felt as though many of the things I believed are like a skeleton, but the vital organs, the heart, the soul, have been missing, and not knowing what to make of them, I've hidden this skeleton, these skeletons, in the closet. But the skeleton hasn't gone away. No, it's been waiting to be brought out into the light, where I can see it for all that it is, and all that it isn't. And I have to do this for myself. Society and culture is only going to continue to bottom-feed me the small residues and scraps which flow down and descend into the dark depths of the echo chambers I find myself in. In order to seek the truth, I must swim towards the surface where the real substance resides. There is a safety in the darkness. In the light you can not only see, but be seen, and that can be a scary proposition for an insecure individual. And after being so accustomed to the darkness, you may find yourself blinded by the light and perplexed at what you manage to see. Why do my eyes hurt? Because you've never used them before, is a line from the Matrix film. I know I like to put in Matrix quotes wherever I can. Uh, the character Neo had been living in a dream world all his life, believing all the time that he was seeing, but in fact never actually using his natural eyes. He was only seeing in his mind's eye. I wonder what dream worlds we find ourselves in, and what do we need to wake up to and see with our true eyes? Sure, we could give plenty of examples in society which seem to be overlooked, and, and yet we see those things. I believe the thing we most neglect to look at and question with our true eyes is much closer to home, ourselves. I have to examine the cultural norms and and what uh, you know is being propagated, uh, but I do this to increase my awareness and to answer questions that I believe to be you know very important about myself. I believe it goes without saying, but I have to say it, so perhaps it doesn't. Men, at least in Western society, are hurting. I'm not denying the privilege that exists for men and which still needs to be addressed. Yet statistically, men are more lonely, possessing fewer friends than women, and have fewer people with which they confide in emotionally. They're more likely than women to be incarcerated and more likely than women to successfully commit suicide. On one hand, the business world seems set up for men to get ahead. Um, but on the other hand, one could argue that society is organized and structured in a much more feminine than masculine way. But in order to get into any of this, we first have to come to some common understanding that there are differences between men and women, and then we have to come to some level of understanding of what those differences are. But we don't even have a clear and healthy idea of what it means 
and looks like to be a man or woman. So it's not surprising to me that people would be confused or choose to throw out the whole idea of gender altogether. Much of the church, uh, but as well much of our Western culture, has held a very narrow view of sexuality. In more recent years, I believe we've been seeing the pushback of centuries of pent-up frustration and resentment from those particularly marginalized and misunderstood. Those representing themselves by the LGBTQ community have bolstered the cause and come into the spotlight. However, I believe there is a great misunderstanding of what it means even to be heterosexual, particularly amongst men. With this has come a certain level of insecurity and anxiety, which manifests itself in forms of homophobia being the most obvious, but sometimes displayed in subtle ways, but altogether forms of toxic masculinity. For many of us men, to be homosexual is taboo, forbidden, but so much so that it's not enough to not be gay, no, a man must prove how heterosexual he is. Is it not a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy that when a man's sexuality is questioned and so highly criticized, that many would question their sexuality? Some may seek and find good counsel and become more reassured or find themselves with some rite of passage, but not all are so fortunate. How many go their whole lives continually trying to prove themselves and others that they are men? Furthermore, in some families-slash-communities, sex is not talked about while, in others, it is overemphasized. In an attempt to curb a boy's sexuality from a young age, they may have been told about the sin of lust and the dangers of the internet. Sex may not have been strictly discussed as a bad thing. However, enough of the conversation may have been shrouded with no, off-limits, bad, sin, disgusting, that one might get the impression that there is a very narrow margin within which sexuality can be acknowledged and expressed, and altogether forbidden off-limits to the unmarried. What does it mean to be sexual and Christian, or more specifically, a sexual single Christian? As mentioned, I read uh, one book called Homosexuality and the Christian. The author looked at broadening the scope of what sexual attraction can look like, and also argues that it's our actions, and not our thoughts and attractions, to be deemed sinful. Homosexuality was the focus of this book, but I wonder what would a book called Sexuality and the Christian look like? Sexuality even of the heterosexual kind has become stigmatized in some communities. Again, for many, their first conversations about sex regard the act as sinful and unclean. But sex is said to be acceptable within the confines of marriage. It's seemingly an all-or-nothing perspective, on or off. Sex with marriage good, sex without marriage bad. Yet rather in or out of marriage, we all experience sexuality to some degree. And like emotions, they're not good or bad, as some would view them. So-called negative emotions can't be repressed without seeping out in toxic and unhealthy ways, and it's just the same with sexuality. For instance, what does it look like for a man to be single, to value women, and at the same time not to shove down and suppress his sexual desires for them? Can't go years without sharing or talking about your feelings and then one day feel comfortable expressing that with others? And in the same way, if sexuality is bad and must be completely avoided while single, how will they then have the capacity to give and receive sexually within marriage after years of suppression and avoiding one's feelings of sexual desire? Pornography almost universally amongst those of faith communities and amongst professionals, both sexual and otherwise, is agreed to be detrimental and cause adverse effects. But what about masturbation? Is it sinful? Are there contexts in which it's not considered a sin, and if so, under what circumstances? 
This has not been so agreed upon, but surely there must be room for expressions of sexual desire among those who are single. Those feelings and desires don't just go away. Control, some declare, you must learn to control yourself. Oh, how virtuous and stoic. A person is deemed righteous by their ability to control everything that comes in and out of their body. Emotional and sexual constipation is glorified. Oh, how admirable is the one who can tamp down their humanity. And to be human is insufficient when the goal is to be God. Yes, I said it. Not to be like God, but to be a God, in charge and in control, lacking nothing and needing nothing, self-sufficient and self-reliant, but with God's help, of course. Where is our humanity? Where is our grace? Where is our love of life, our enjoyment of pleasure? Where is our joy? Where is the freedom that the gospel, which is the good news, has promised? Or was that a lie? The pendulum swings with the extremes. No, it can't be all, but it can't be nothing either. Where is the balanced and moderate perspective? This is where we need to go. These are the questions that must be addressed, or else the pendulum swings, and the extremes will not do not for good health, nor for prosperity or longevity. Where there is a dam, the levees will break. Where there is an unsinkable ship, it will find its iceberg. All the while, those on the top can pretend that they are safe, but they are all on the same ship all the same. All my poetic language aside, we are all in this together, although we may not feel it directly or feel its effects all at once. I believe that where there is a disparity, where there is inequality, where people somehow fall behind, somehow go unnoticed and fall through the cracks, it affects the whole of society. And society can avoid it, but like bad karma, it's going to come back around, it's going to show itself and rear its ugly head. Eventually the mask will come off, the veil will come down, and the truth will be revealed. And now, with the internet, it's becoming much harder to keep things under wraps. But I digress. Society at large is going to do, and will do as it pleases, but you, and I, me, and you, can ask these questions. We can try to have these conversations. If I know anything at all, it's that I believe that men need to have healthy conversations about sex and masculinity. That's the path of growth for our communities and for our society. Going back to the beginning of the series that uh, I was doing on Deep Conversation, um, uh, with my 26th episode home, I shared that I had a conversation for the podcast with my friend Leah Johnson, uh, which didn't go as expected. Um, in my 27th episode, uh, Bodies of Water, I shared the intro to that conversation, uh, but the main topic of our discussion has yet to be shared. In my previous episode, I talked about the differences between guilt, shame, and toxic shame. Uh, when, when I say previous episode, again, this was supposed to be a 30th episode. Uh, the previous episode that I'm referring to is that uh, 29th episode. Uh, so at the time of my conversation with Leah, I was uh, less informed and uh, lacked the vocabulary, but uh, without having a word for it, I had hoped to talk about toxic shame. I wanted to have a woman present to try and address the toxic shame surrounding men and women, and we did that kind of. However, I experienced, as I typically do when I come when it comes to subjects surrounding gender, and um, you know there were things that or said rather intentionally or not, which came off to me as being dismissive of the toxic shame that men experience, and of the fact that men can be victims too. Again, I'm not saying that this was her intention, but that's just how I felt, and I believe that I uh, you know, shrunk myself down and tried to be somewhat dismissive uh, myself 
um, in an attempt to, to make sure that there was adequate space for the female voice and perspective to be heard. But in doing so, I feel that there were things that I neglected to share, and I feel that I neglected to take a stand for manhood. And I do believe that we need men to stand up for men, not some kind of brash bravado, but a different kind of voice. Men need to hear something different than what's coming from the frat boys who commend and validate misbehavior, or from the passionate feminist, uh, for a lack of a better word, who seem to group all men together to demean and ridicule the lot of them. Men aren't the simple, primitive, animalistic creatures that they're so often portrayed as, and they're also not machines that can be turned on and off. So many men are confused. We don't know what you want from us. It's either be an alpha muscle tough guy, or you need to be a pretty boy who only gets aroused on command whenever it's deemed appropriate. The cases of abuse and sexual assault at the hands of men is a problem without question. But it's like we have men with serious issues. You do have to have some measure of antisocial behavior to think you can dominate and violate another human being. In my last episode, I talked about the stigma surrounding mental health, but I believe there's a stigma around men as well. We're having conversations around men and speaking as if all, or most men, can simply be triggered to see little cleavage and turn abusive. Statistics show that there is a huge problem with men turning abusive, but what about the rest of men out there? What about the ones who wouldn't know what to do with a woman if they had one? Maybe it's going to take some shame in order for some men to change their ways, but for the ones with real problems, and again, I believe that sexual assault is nothing short of antisocial behavior, and in the case of those individuals, they don't feel guilt. They don't feel shame. So we can shame the ones who don't feel anything, and then what then of the ones who can? Are we not just reinforcing the toxic shame that men already have every time that they hear that men are gross, they're pigs and perverts? To the men who can force themselves on others and not recognize their rights, those words mean nothing. But to the men who have the potential to become something, to make something of themselves and to be a part of the solution, they're being sent right back into their foxholes. But we can't afford for men to hide away. We need them to come out from hiding, to boldly stand up, and be a voice and positive example of what it means to be a man. In cases of abuse and sexual assault, a friend of mine added that one potential exception to antisocial behavior is the influence of alcohol. Although it makes people more antisocial, they certainly may experience shame afterwards and perhaps even engage in cowardice by not owning up to their behavior. And I'm glad that he mentioned that, and I wanted to be sure to mention it as well as a part of this discussion, because I don't want to leave anything out. And that really opens up a whole other conversation about drug abuse and its impact on society. I'm not going to get into that here, but it's very much worth noting, and needs to be a part of the dialogue. I haven't done the research, so I can't say for certain, but with that in mind, I imagine cases of abuse and sexual assault more often a result of drug abusers than it is of those who are clinically antisocial, that is, individuals who lack any sense of empathy or remorse. And I believe that's a harsh reality. It would be easier to vilify every abuser as pure evil, but in many instances, these acts are committed at the hands of fools, fools who made decisions which wreck people's lives and irreparably change them forever. There needs to be justice for this. These people need to confess and own up to their horrendous acts, and they need to be judged accordingly. So judge the individual offenders, yes, but to demean and put down all men is not helpful. As I've attempted to explain, I'm a subject of toxic shame. You know, do I get triggered? 
Absolutely. However, I don't believe I'm immature for picking up on and noticing the toxic language that I see used in regard to men. I guess all that I'm really asking is, can we do more praising and calling out the positive qualities we see in men and women rather than always chastising and shaming? I can't know for certain what the solution to these issues we face are, but I believe I can say with certainty that shaming is not the answer. I know that there are deep hurts on both sides, but but rather than shouting into the ether on social media, can we spend more time sitting down with someone of the opposite sex, someone of an opposite perspective, rather than ranting amongst our our tribes and you know conversing amongst those who already hold our same values and opinions? It's a challenge, no doubt. I took a step back and it you know took a series of episodes to think through why I struggle to be honest and to have certain conversations. It looks easier on paper and it's easier said than done, but I am trying to have these conversations with people and I'm very grateful to my friend Leah Johnson and that she was willing to sit down and have a conversation with me and I trust uh, that we'll have more. I'm sure those conversations will be challenging too, but I'm not going to grow if I don't have them. So thank you again, Leah, for being a friend and giving me the opportunity. In my next episode, I will be sharing the aforementioned conversation with Leah and perhaps you'll be challenged by it as well. If so, I encourage you to lean in and ask yourself what it is about the conversation that challenges you. And if you listen to it and aren't challenged, maybe you don't see the big deal. I hope that from what I've shared, you'll have grace for me and understand why I first struggled to share it with you. I want to acknowledge that there may have been things that I said that rubbed you the wrong way. And if that was the case, I apologize. If I've offended you in any way or you felt that I've been dismissive of the struggles that women go through, please know this was not my intention. And if that was the case, please stay with me and listen to my next episode with my conversation with Leah. As I mentioned, we'll be discussing more of the female perspective, and I trust that it will be validating for you. I always welcome and encourage feedback from you, and that offer still stands. We're all in this together. As always, thank you for joining me on the journey. I thought that was going to be the perfect note to end this episode on, but Before I close, I wanted to share a few additional resources that I may not have referenced in my discussion, at least not directly, but that have nonetheless been informative and influenced me as I've been thinking about cultural influences and its impact on perceived norms of masculinity, attractiveness, and gender roles, and stereotypes for both men and women. The first is The Fantastic Masculinity of Newt's Commander by YouTube channel Pop Culture Detective. I was already a huge fan of the portrayal of you know, the fictional character Newt's Commander as played by Eddie uh, Redman, I believe is how you say his last name, uh, in the latest uh, film in the Harry Potter franchise, Fantastic Beast. Uh, but this video made me appreciate him all the more and convinced me that I need to see more lead uh, characters like him, which break the mold of the hero's journey and redefine what a fictional hero can be. The second is male versus uh, female gaze, how media profits from your gender by YouTube channel Internet Impact. And that's a much longer video, but if you have the time, I thought it was a very insightful examination of generalizations and male and female attractiveness and what men and women find attractive in the opposite sex and and how each gender gets used in media to attract a particular audience. Now, much of the video seems to only reinforce the stereotypes that most of us are already well aware of, but if you stick with the video to the end, it does explain how the stereotypes 
aren't always true, but I also still found it interesting to consider the things that men think that women find attractive and the things that women think that men find attractive, and that doesn't necessarily add up to be true. For the third, Is Beauty Culture Hurting Us by YouTube channel Vox. Uh, yes, as you can tell, I really like my YouTube videos. The internet has transformed beauty culture from an exclusive domain of models and magazines to the broad, accessible world of social media. In recent years, research shows that more and more women are saying that they feel beautiful, but at the same time, the vast majority of women say they feel pressure to feel beautiful. In this video, the host explores the benefits and costs of today's beauty culture. End quote. That was how the video was described. And for the fourth, another YouTube video uh, by Vox uh, that I've likely mentioned on the podcast before, but uh, that I have no problem mentioning again, is Why Are We So Lonely? Their description for this uh, video is, We often make assumptions about the things that make us lonely, but research shows that the amount of time you spend with other people and the quality of our social skills don't really make a difference. So why is it that nearly half of the U.S. population reports feeling lonely regularly? In this video, the host explores what causes loneliness, how it affects our health, and what to do to address it, uh, end quote. And I found it particularly interesting how the video gives a look into loneliness experienced by young single men and senior-aged single men as well. And going off of that, the last uh, reference that I have for you is from the Art of Manliness podcast. Um, they have an episode titled The Hidden Tragedy of Male Loneliness, uh, which I found very fascinating, and you can either listen to the podcast or read the transcript uh, like an article um, through the link that I will, I'm going to, you know, as always, provide all those links in the description. So those are five additional resources, which I won't be elaborating on at the risk of uh, being long-winded or redundant since these creators already covered these topics and did a much better job than I could. Uh, so if any one of those uh, sound interesting to you, I would highly encourage you to check them out for yourself. And with that, I'm going to conclude this episode. Thank you for tuning in to Mike the Mike. If you have any comments or have a suggested topic for a future episode, or if you would like to inquire about joining me on the podcast, you can email me at beckm.podcast at gmail.com, or you can direct message me on Instagram at mikethemike.fm. You can find all those addresses mentioned, as well as any related links and citations for this episode listed in the episode's description. Until next time, stay well and take care.